When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome to Ladies Who London podcast. I'm Emily Dell. And I'm Alex Lacey and we are Qualified London Blue Badge Tourist Guides. Each week we bring to you some of the best bits of London. We talk about our favourite people, places and events with a bit of information, a lot of laughs and a whole lot of fun. We can be found on Instagram at Ladies Who London Podcast <laughs> and on our website skydemily.com and alexlacey.com as well as our dedicated website ladieswholondon.com for more information. Hello Em. Hello, Alex. <laughs> What's with you tonight? You are giving me Boudicca vibes. <laughs> <laughs> okay. I need to tell everybody that Go you on, have then. dyed your hair red. Yes, I was convinced into it today by my hairdresser. He went, you know what? You'd look good red. And in a moment of weakness, I went, fine. So he did. And it's quite bright, isn't it? It looks fantastic, but I have to tell you on Zoom currently, I cannot see any features on your face, so it's just white. Yeah, hang on, let me. Let Can me you take see yourself? The, oh no, let me take the the brightness down, and we might get some facial features back. Oh no, I'm quite enjoying it. Oh, thanks. Oh, look, <laughs> Charming. There we go. I can see a beautiful face. Yeah, it's now. quite bright, it just, isn't it? But no, because um, it just looked amazing. She had like a white head, and then this incredible red curly hair. You've got these beautiful red winglets. You just look like you're about to cause havoc. <laughs> I am the Romans. <laughs> <laughs> I'll always cause cause havoc with the Romans. Uh, how are you this week? You are still hot spotting, aren't you? So your your audio is a little patchy still. So thanks everyone for bearing with us. I'm so sorry, everybody. The internet guy couldn't make it round unfortunately until this coming friday it's not like that ever happens they never no which is uh frustrating but yeah (laughs) apologies i know it's not the best um but yes all good went camping oh yeah you did didn't you Mm, very exciting dorset and i just you know it's so easy to forget how the light pollution attacks london and you just can't see the starry sky yeah and just being out there in the middle of a campsite, just you know, on the edge of the the sea, it's just stunning. Where were really, you? Really, really nice. We were in Dorset. Oh, lovely. Um, in a, a farm. It was a camping like village called Uli's. Big up Uli's. <laughs> Uli's massive. <laughs> Uli's massive. No, it's brilliant. Very kind of family orientated. Um, Carmen really enjoyed it. Yeah, it was great. Yeah. It's quite nice to be off grid, isn't it? I was off grid when I, I went to Wales the weekend before. I couldn't see the stars because it bucketed it down with rain the entire time. But um, it's quite nice to just be able to put your phone down. And I, we didn't have any coverage. You just can't do anything. It's quite nice. Yeah, and actually, when I got when we got in the car driving back, I turned my phone on, and after about an hour, I was just really stressed. I was like, "Oh God, what's annoying me?" Because <laughs> I was just because it was me. I was annoying you. <laughs> <laughs> and I was like, "Oh, Alex, fifteen messages, bloody hell!" <laughs> no, it's just you know, you you things your brain just gets sucked away by so much imagery. Yeah. Um, I hope everyone's following our Instagram out there. <laughs> <laughs> 
Right, so um, before we head into this week's podcast, we need to um, clear up podcast pedestal from last week. So last week was the amazing Boudicca or Bodicea or Bodacious, whichever you fancy. What was the other one you said? Vodica or Vod... Vod Vodica or Vodaka? Vodaka. Something like that, wasn't it? Yeah, which I rather liked. Um, So the options were... Um, it was Paulinus underestimating Boudicca's might and her power. And then it was your pick. What was your pick? Boudicca's daughters. Very important. Very important bit because, of course, without mm. them, having been, you know, treated pretty appallingly, uh, she may not have got any mm-hmm. in the twist and come down to London. So uh, there we go. Well, this week, the polling is 69% to 31%. Interesting. And it's gone my way. Oh, well done. Thank you. Well done, my love. Well done. Well done. Yeah. So, uh, neck and neck, I will take that. Amazing. Yeah. Well done. Fabulous. Well done. Thank you very much. So, onwards into this week's podcast. So, this week we are talking about uh, well, I've gone a bit off on a tangent and I'm going to be totally honest here I've been wanting an opportunity to talk about this it's not really London history but it is linked to Wimbledon as I said yesterday um, to a player called Jean Barotra who was a uh, a Wimbledon singles champion twice in the 1920s and it's a story I read a couple of years ago and I just thought it was so good that I couldn't pass up the opportunity so Forgive me, I'm going completely to tangent, but it's a good story, so I hope you'll kind of go along with it. Um, and it's a Second World War story, um, so it's important to say, you know, it, it, it's a complex story, I think, is the best way of saying it. So you'll see <laughs> when, when we go through, and it's, it's yeah, you'll see. But let's let's start with Jean Bretra himself. He is a, or was, a phenomenal tennis player. He was born in 1898. And went through to 1994, when he was 95 years old is when he died. Um, He was born in Biarritz in France. And don't worry if you're not a tennis fan, because we're really on the tennis for maybe two minutes. Um, But we have to talk about it, because that's what made his name. (laughs) It's funny, I should say this, and this is completely random. But tomorrow, as in Wednesday, the day that everyone's listening to this. Hello, everyone. um, I am guiding at Wimbledon, because I do guide at Wimbledon. And tomorrow is one of my shifts there. So we'll come in one big circle. Um, but uh, Jean Barotra, he won 21 major championships in singles, doubles, mixed doubles. He won Wimbledon in 1924 and 1926. He won bronze at the Olympics in the doubles with another very famous um, tennis player called René Lacoste, who I always like to say Lacoste, not just a name on a T-shirt. And that's where it comes mm. from, the Lacoste brand. Um, and he was a really amazing tennis player. He was a very dramatic player. Um, there was one newspaper that compared his matches to theatrical productions, which mm. is fantastic. He he was clearly, from everything I've read, he was the most sort of, I don't want to say volatile, but I'm going to say volatile, really, of, um, of the four famous French players who played together, um, who were known as the Four Musketeers. Their names were Jacques Brugnon, Henri Cochet, René Lacoste, and then Jean Bretra as well. So those are the four. And in the 1920s, they really dominate tennis. Um, he became known himself as the Bounding Basque, 
which is fantastic because he's from the Basque Ooh. country. Um, and this is just... actually making me um, want to get into tennis. You and see? I, I didn't think anything would get me into tennis. You see, there we Ooh. go. Um, but he was apparently, you know, just bound across it, like endless sort of bouncy movements and all over the place. And one of his big um, rivals, it had been a rival for many, many years, was a guy called Bill Tilden. And he said once in an article, he said that Barotra was the god of the galleries and the devil of the players. So he was a bit of a formidable... Uh, you know, opponent on the tennis court. However, we are not talking tennis today because much as I love tennis, an entire podcast about the intricacies of somebody's tennis career would probably be a little bit dull. Yeah. So what we are doing is talking about another occasion in his life, which is after he's had this huge success. And in fact, they, the, the four Musketeers won the Davis Cup for six straight years wow. from 1927 to 32. So these guys are at the top of their game and Barotra really is. I mean, he's a, he's a crowd favourite. He's, yeah, he's brilliant. Um, and then in 1939, uh, we all know what happens. The Second World War begins. And during the Second World War, he served as a captain in the French army. And then later on, from 1940 to 42, he was selected as the General Commissioner for Education and Sports as part of the Vichy government. Now, the Vichy government is always quite a controversial thing because I'm sure everyone out there knows, um, in case you don't, just very briefly, France was kind of split into two. You had the Vichy government who kind of didn't really fall in line with um, the Nazi rule. It was more that they just sort of kind of got on with it a bit to try and well whatever the reasons were and the other half of the country very much didn't so um part of the Vichy government later becomes quite sort of divisive because anyone who's seen to have, have been part of the Vichy government or kind of supporting that part sometimes a little bit later on after the war is seen as you know not quite on the right side but anyway mm. um as part of that he was in charge for this he was great general commissioner for education and sports and he oversaw, now, this is possibly a little bit of a sore point, he oversaw the banning of women's football. He oversaw the banning of women's football? Yeah. Now, rather famously, uh, our lovely Lionesses have just won the Euros, if anyone Go on, isn't, girls! Go on, ladies! Um, if anyone isn't in Europe or has no interest in football, which actually I have to say, I am one of them, but even I watched the, the match, uh, the final. Oh, brilliant. Uh, it was amazing. You know, that was a really big deal. And the last time that England won any sort of major championship was 1966. And it was actually illegal for women to play football then. So it's a big, big deal. So this is quite, you know, looking back with our modern eyes, the banning of women's football. He also banned several other sports for women. There was a list that was published of the sports that women couldn't play. And he also banned rugby league, which, frankly, fair enough. Rugby union is the better one. But, you know. <laughs> but still, I mean, still. what's going on with the old banning? I know, I know. However, 1942, he falls from favour with the Vichy government and he is deported to Germany for, in quotes, patriotic fervour, whatever that means, whatever they patriotic want it to mean, really. Fervour. Well, now, the thing about Barotra is he is... Now, I said earlier, you know, he's the slightly more volatile of the Four Musketeers and he is someone who does not take things lying down very clearly. Mm. He, on his way... Um, to Germany, he tries to escape to North Africa to join the Allied forces and he's arrested by the Gestapo. Ooh. He's pumped full of something that they refer to as truth serum. Now, what this is, I'm not 100% sure, but essentially they were, yeah, they were 
pumping something or other into him and he was taken to a concentration camp in fact I think it was Sachsenhausen um, where he was put in solitary confinement for six months now the fact that he is being kept alive in a concentration camp is pretty impressive anyway mm-hmm. um, but he's there until now this is this shows kind of the power of tennis and when I when I do my tours at Wimbledon I ask where everyone's from because I love knowing how far people have come to do a tour and the king of Sweden is a massive tennis fan and he also knows Barotra he's met him on several occasions and um, Renee Lacoste goes to him and says look you know this is what's happened Barotra's in Sachsenhausen and we need to you know get him out so the king of Sweden intervenes and Barotra is taken from there and put into the prisoner of war camp at a place called Itter Castle now this is where the fun begins okay so we're at Itter Castle you're already looking very stressed by this, Emily. I'm not. I'm really on the edge. Like, what's going to happen? <laughs> she's got. This is, she's got <laughs> her hands on either side in. of her head. She's looking terrified uh, at what's going to happen. So, what's going on in this castle? I know. Well, so this castle is kind of like a VIP prison, and I don't mean in that it's lovely and whatever. It's that they have got the VIPs there. So people who are potentially useful to the Reich. So people who are maybe valuable or that they could be used as a bargaining chip people of of note um Mm -hmm. such as so we've got barotra who's actually kind of the most famous person to be um in prison there we have the heads of the french resistance when they've been caught they've been put there president uh charles de gaulle's sister is there Um, vip vip section of the prison i know uh they've even got i think it's the son of the previous president uh georges clemenceau his son is there i think his son's called Henri. i'm not quite sure about if that's right but anyway his son's there um they've also got a couple of handymen from yugoslavia um who were kind of so they've actually been moved over from a concentration camp to be sort of in prison there to keep things running Basically, they can do all the old jobs and keep keep stuff going. This castle, Itter Castle, it's in North Tyrol in Austria. And it's on this little hilltop. And I've looked at pictures of it. It looks really lovely, actually. Um, and on the 5th of May, 1945, we see a battle at Itter Castle. That is one of the weirdest and bravest battles in the entire Second World War. So let's put this in con- in context. so emily what with that date what what's what's about to happen well we're pretty much pretty much at the end yeah yeah the germans are about to capitulate so the 6th of uh, the evening of the 6th of may it's announced on the morning of the 7th of may 1945 is when the um unconditional surrender is announced and i should say the 5th of may is five days after adolf hitler has taken his own life so mm. everything's in turmoil a little bit. The German forces are falling mm-hmm. back. They're going towards a thing called the Alpine Fortress, which is the kind of national fortress that had been planned for Germany where they could retreat to if they, if they needed. And, and it is needed. This is, you know, everything's in turmoil. It's all a bit, a bit crazy. So this is where we find Jean Barotra. He is in this prison. It's 1945, 5th of May. And basically what's happened is obviously things are falling apart the you have within the german um forces you have the wehrmacht which is kind of sort of the army and then you have the ss as well now at this point the in the town nearby which is a town by a fantastic little name of virgil now i don't know if i'm saying that correctly it's w and then o with the two dots over and then rgl i'm gonna say virgil 
say Virgil. I'd Virgo, say, say Virgil, Virgo, um, which means it's probably wrong. <laughs> probably completely wrong. Um, I trained with a lovely guide called Teresa. Hi, Teresa. She does listen, actually, when she's doing her, uh, her DIY, I think. Um, oh, hi, and Teresa. Teresa's always laughed at me because my German is terrible. I speak Dutch, but I don't speak German. And so I get everything wrong. And I have one phrase in German, which is, alles Gute zum Geburtstag, which means happy birthday. Which I say to oh. her every single time I see her, except if it's her birthday when I wish her happy Christmas. Anyway. So she's probably laughing at my pronunciation of Virgil, but I'm going Virgil. Go Virgil. I'm going to go for it. So in the near, this is the nearby town. Um, the German Wehrmacht have their orders to ship out. They've been told, get out, retreat, whatever. But the SS are coming behind. And supposedly what happens, I've seen a couple of different, um, you know, sort of accounts of this. But as I understand it, the town's mayor is really worried about the SS coming in about any atrocities because essentially the SS are retreating and it's kind of a scorched earth thing and they're just, you know, whatever, taking their prisoners. And he asks the major of the Wehrmacht to stay and protect the town. And this major has got a fantastic name. He's called Sepp Gangl. And he's a Sepp really... Gangl. Sepp Gangl. G-A-N-G-L. I know, it does bits. He is a very, very well-respected officer. He's very highly decorated. But... He is not sympathetic to the Nazi cause. He has really had his eyes opened and he is, he's not on board. He's not on board at all. And so when this mayor says, look, can you hang about and help us? He's like, yeah, actually, let's do that. And it's just as well that he does. So up at the castle, the SS guards protecting all these VIP prisoners are getting kind of jittery. They've realised the end is nigh. They're figuring out what to do. They know the SS are coming to basically to kind of take over the castle. I mean, you have SS guards at the castle, but they've kind of been living there with the prisoners and, you know, they're, they're like the lower rungs. You've got the big the big guns coming in now. They want to collect these prisoners and use them as bargaining chips. That's what they want to do. Mm. So the commander at the prison calls in a guy called Chuchkovich, who's one of these Yugoslavian handymen. And he says to him, right, I'm going to send you out down to the local town. Um, I'm going to give you a letter. Now, I want you to kind of pretend if anybody asks you are sending a letter for me but the letter is actually in English and I want you to go and find the first American division you can give them this letter and ask them to come and help us because we are mm. we, it, it's going to kick off right yeah we're in dire straits we we're need dire straits. help so Chuchkovich heads off off he goes um, he heads to um, Virgil the little town doesn't think it's going to work um, because he he still sees that the um, well he sees that Gangle and his German um, forces are still there. So he's like, mm, there's no Americans there, so he keeps going to Innsbruck, which is obviously a lot lot further. He finds an American division there, but they're too small to help. But they send the message kind of higher up the chain a little bit. Meanwhile, of course, this has taken much much longer than the commander was intending for him to go down to Virgil and back up, and the commander panics that he hasn't come back. So the commander basically goes. They're going to find me out, and he legs it. So now you have oh this God. this prison with VIP prisoners in, very important ones. You then have the remaining guards who are there. Now, the prisoners sense unrest, and they kind of take command of the castle. And these guards that are there are sort of like, yeah, we, we, we're with you type thing. Yeah, because otherwise, you know, we, well, we actually, we need to group together now. Yeah, yeah exactly. Um, so they know that the SS are coming and they arm themselves and they think we're going to have a second go at getting help out there. And they take, um, there's a Czech cook who's actually a name I don't think I have. Um, and they send the Czech cook down on a bike into Virgil. And they say, just go find anybody, just tell anybody. So this time the cook does go to Virgil and the cook finds Gangle and his 
his um, uh, Wehrmacht division. And he gives him this letter in English. Gangle reads it and he goes, okay, I have to help, but I haven't got enough troops to stage an assault or a rescue mission or anything on the castle. Who is around that I can ask for help? The Americans. So off he goes in full uniform to the enemy camp at the nearby village of Kerfstein uh, or Kerfstein. The American 23rd Division is there and he goes in full okay. German uniform with a white flag in one hand and a no- and this note in the other. Oh my god. And they see him coming. So he's gone in he's gone into the the enemy, you know, the lion's den basically. And they see him coming and they hold him at gunpoint. And they take him over to the tank commander, a guy called Captain Jack Lee. And he hands him the note. And Jack Lee reads this note. And then apparently he stops for a minute. He looks up. He grins. And then he says, looks like we're going on a rescue mission. Oh, yes. So he radios radios up the chain and says, look, this is what we're up to. He's got about um, four or five tanks in Kerfstein. Kerfstein. And he's got quite quite a few men, and they say, "Yep, you can go, but you can only take one tank and a couple of men, like not not too much." He t- so they say, "You know, hold out as long as possible. We're sending reinforcements," and off they go. They have fourteen American soldiers, they have Gangle, they have a truck with ten German artillerymen, and they have one tank. And as they're going back up to the castle, they run up against um, a variety of little kind of pockets of SS troops who they defeat. They're blockading a road and this sort of thing. And what they have to do is they have to send a chunk of their um, forces back as reinforcements en route. There's a, a quite a rickety bridge they come up against and they need to sort of secure that and all that kind of thing. So they actually get to the castle with fewer people than they set out with. Nobody dies, but, you know. Mm. And when they get there, um, up to the castle, um, an SS officer turns up. He's a retired SS officer, a guy called Kurt Siegfried Schrader. And he has, a for a long time now, been very, very disillusioned with Nazism. He's turned against it quite a lot. He's also, as I understand it, spent some time at the prison because he convalesced from some kind of illness or injury, I'm not quite sure what, with the prisoners so they know him. And he turns up mm. and he says, he warns them, he says, the SS are coming. And they say, will you join us and will you lead us? And he says, yes, I will. <gasps> so now you have this group of prisoners with the remaining SS officers, you have the American soldiers who arrive, the German Wehrmacht, and they all take up defensive positions around the castle. So right here, you've got German, Austrian, French, American, at the time, Yugoslavian, Czech, that kind of thing. This is a proper collection of of countries and, and of um, nationalities together. Wow. Amazing, on huh? one battlefield can i ask what at this point has happened to the cook that's a good question and to, uh, uh, if i'm 100 honest i don't know i suspect well i don't know actually does i suspect they took the cook to safety but given what i know about everyone else there chances are the cook came back up with them i have to say i don't know right because you know he's well i don't want to give away what my podcast pedestal might be but he's a bit crazy <laughs> isn't he <laughs> He is a bit cruxy. I say he. I don't know if it's a man or a woman, actually. Oh, it could be a man or it could be a woman. Wow. Yeah. Okay. Um, now, there's this tank that they brought up, um, which belongs to Captain Jack Lee. Um, she's got a name. She's called Bazotten Jenny. I'm going to assume she's Bazotten with him. Um, they position mm-hmm. her at the front of the castle and then they sit and they wait. 
And about 4 a.m. in the morning, the SS attack starts. There's about So if you imagine, we, I don't know exactly how many people you've got in the castle because I don't know how many prisoners there were, but you're probably talking no more than about 30 or 40 people. So not a huge amount of people, right? About 150 troops of the 17th SS Panzer Division arrive. They have mm. anti-aircraft cannons, guns, really big weaponry, and they are going to use it. And Lee's tank holds them off quite significantly until eventually it's destroyed by an SS shell. Poor Bazotten Jenny, she's gone. And then someone dies. Now, mm. one of the, 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 the SS officers outside um, open fire on a member of the prisoners, um, well, from, from outside, and this prisoner is protected by none other than Gangle himself. He gets in the oh. way and he's shot by a sniper and he's killed. However, he is the only person uh, on this defending force to die in this battle. Wow. There's then a lull in the battle and you can imagine them all just sitting there thinking, oh my goodness, oh my, you know, the tank's gone, Gangle's gone. What, you know, what, what's next? Well, what's next is something really quite unusual. The phone rings in oh, the castle the song ring. oh right okay yeah. yeah wasn't expecting that no nobody was <laughs> nobody expects the uh, Spanish Inquisition phone call hold um, on I forgot that my sister was going to rang it's 2pm <laughs> I said I must zoom pick call up. with the family zoom call <laughs> <laughs> yeah exactly it's quiz night it's quiz night I'm sorry guys I'm going to have to put down my weapon yeah we've got we've got a zoom quiz to do um, who do you think's on the other end of the phone oh my god is it one of the the tennis musketeers it's not. No, the other three don't make it into this story. Oh. It's Chuchkovich. It's not the cook. Chuchkovich, the handyman. Oh, the Chuchy. first guy to go the out. The handyman. Yeah. Oh, my God. He has made it to Inbrook to this American division. And so, but remember I said it took longer than they were expecting. So by yeah. this point, he's got there. And they didn't know what the latest was, what the status was with the castle at all. And mm. so he'd got there, he told the Americans, they were like, okay, right, we're going to sort it. And they didn't know, they were like, we don't, because all of the communications had been kind of disrupted by the SS. And the mayor of the town goes, why don't you try ringing the castle? And unbeknownst to everyone else, the, the phone line was working. So they pick up the phone. Um, Captain Jack Lee reports to his um, fellow troops there that they are just about holding the castle. They don't know how much longer they can hold out, but they're just about holding it. Um, the Americans from Innsbruck say they're coming and then the SS cut the line. So that's all they managed to say. Now, this is the point where they think, right, so they're coming, but they don't know the terrain. They don't know what's happening. They don't know where the enemy is. And this is where Jean Barotra steps up. Now, Jean Barotra says, I'm a good runner. I, why don't I sneak over the castle walls and leg it and try and get to this American division coming in from Innsbruck? I, we know where the SS troops are. I can tell them where they are and as he as I go I can check out where there are you know roadblocks and all this sort of thing and I can get them through and they think it's a it's a suicide mission but crack on mate crack on so he does wow, he drops over the side of the hero. wall I mean right so he drops over the side of the wall and he's dressed as as I understand it as an Austrian peasant whatever that might look like and he legs it and he apparently he's he says he's used to running right he runs all the time in tennis he is fit as a butcher's dog and he can put some speed on and he apparently kind of zigzags between loads of different SS divisions and completely bypasses all of them. 
making notes on where they are and they also have the intel from from being up in the castle too he I'm meets in you know the scene from the mask with jim carrey yeah. jumping around kind of dod- yeah. dodging all of those bullets it feels like that doesn't it it's amazing yeah. So he does manage to intercept the forces coming in from Innsbruck. They're progressing really slowly because they keep coming up against the SS who are putting in blockades and destroying roads and all that kind of thing. And he gets them and he says, give me a uniform. And he changes into an American military uniform. He then says, right, let's go. And he says, I know where they are. I know where the roadblocks are. I know where the SS divisions are. Let's go. And he guides them back to the castle, avoiding all of the pitfalls. Now, the castle is really close to falling. The SS have got closer to the castle. They've pulled up basically to the front and they've taken out this massive anti-tank uh, weapon. It's called a Panzerfaust, which apparently translates as uh, a tank fist. So you can imagine it's just going to blast through the front of this thing. And they start to get it into place. And as they are kind of doing that, gunfire starts up behind them. The division with Jean Barotra in it has come up to the castle. They surround the SS on all sides and the battle for Itter Castle is won. And two days later, we have the unconditional surrender of Germany. So it is the only time in World War II that the German Wehrmacht and the US Army fight on the same side. And it's bonkers and it's completely unexpected. But this is what happens. Now, That's Captain massive. Lee, I, I can't believe I haven't heard of this before. I know this is this is when I when I heard about it a few years ago. I was like, this is incredible. There are so mm. many things like this. I mean, it was it was like I mean, Operation Mincemeat that we did way back yeah. at the start, yeah. which is I think still one of my favourite um, episodes because of how bonkers it is. These are the kind of things that you know are just ah. How do you you know anyway? So Captain Lee, um, Jack Lee is given the Distinguished Service Medal. Uh, Gangle is buried in Virgil. And there's also now a street named after him um, as well in there. And this is where I said at the start, it's really, it's a really tricky one to talk about because, you know, Ganga was part of the Wehrmacht. He was, you know, part of, it's so hard, you know, it's really easy to kind of say, oh, you know, all these people are amazing, wonderful people and they, you know, the same kind of thing. But of course it's not that black and white. I mean, even Barotra is not, not, you know, we've got issues there as well. So it's a really tricky one to to talk about and, and make it seem like you're kind of not glorifying. It's really, you know, you it's hard to to be all very black and white about it. So yeah, it, it's it's a, it's a complex one. Mm. Um and what I'm not kind of going going to go in and say, "Oh, you know, all these people are saintly and all this kind of thing." obviously that things are much more complex than that so please don't take it that i'm you know excusing other things but this this i'm just telling the story as it is so what happens to brocha well um he is when he's um released he does go back to tennis actually for a little while but this what i mentioned earlier about people who are in league with the vichy government don't do so well later and the fact that he been in the Vichy government tainted his reputation quite a lot um there was quite he he came up against quite a lot of barriers um in, in the section immediately after the second world war uh for a while he was barred from traveling to britain for the for wimbledon um so you know the, it, it, there's 
you can imagine after, I mean, obviously it's nothing that luckily we've lived through, but at the end of a massive war like that, there's going to be a lot of bitterness and a lot of pointing of fingers and a lot of, you know, really mm. difficult positions to come to come up against. So, you know, you can, you can imagine that. And what happened is, is because of this, his role at Itter, this is something that was um, played up quite a lot um, in a way to sort of try and get his image back, really. And he was given um, uh, a medal called the Medaille des Evadés, or the Medal of Escapees, oh. which kind of helped restore his reputation somewhat. Hmm. He then played in 1947, played in the French Davis Cup team again um, for uh, against Czechoslovakia. Um, and But it didn't really go very well, and they tied, and it just didn't really... You know, nothing really happened after that. And and after then, we never really saw him in public life, particularly after that. So this man who had been such a huge, huge star in 1920s and 30s tennis, it all went a little bit skew-if, really. Um, despite his bravery at the Battle for Itter Castle, you know, like I say, tensions run high at the end of things like this. And he... I don't really have too much information on him after... Um, 1947 after that Davis Cup match he just sort of went and lived his life got married uh, I think had a couple of kids um, and and we don't really hear much about him after then um, until like I say he, he died in 1994 so there we go that's the story oh, of Jean Barotra I mean, well specifically sad. Battle for Ritter when you think to you know start your life playing tennis doing really well and then suddenly you know within such a short space of time your world gets turned upside down and you're eating dinner surrounded by VIPs in the castle, <laughs> not knowing if you're ever going to pick up a tennis racket again. Mm. Wow. Yeah. He must have seen so much. And the conversations that they must have had whilst they were in there. Yeah. It's a fascinating story. Yeah. And in particular, you know, that they all just picked up arms and all just got into defensive positions and were just like, right we're fighting this out you know it seems like they were very a very kind of united unit a united front mm. and like i say the only person or at least on that side I, I have to say i don't know um about the the ss side um uh, but the only person on that side the defending forces um who died was gangle um i do know that they took of the prisoners i'm sorry of the ss who um uh, then um capitulated I know that they took an, an awful lot of prisoners, so I there would have been some loss of life. I would imagine. I have to say, I don't know too much about it, but um, yeah, they did take an awful lot of those SS um, of well officers and, and, and troops prisoner. Mm -hmm. um, there we go. God, and when you're guiding around Wimbledon, is there a museum section where there's like a little bit of information or something about this guy? There is a museum in Wimbledon. It is an absolutely amazing museum. If anyone ever wants to come to Wimbledon, let me know because it is incredible. Um, but it's all his uh, tennis based, sorry. So as far as I'm aware, they don't have anything to do. I might have a rummage when I'm there tomorrow, but they don't have anything particularly to do with this story. Um, it's all it's all tennis based. Yeah. And I don't get the chance during my tour. There's not enough time to talk about this story. Um, there, but I do often point no. him out and, and talk about the four musketeers on the honours board. But yeah, wow, God, <laughs> how fascinating and so different. Yeah. Not really <laughs> London history, that, Alex. But I've Not really I'm, London you know... history. But we'll let you off. Thanks. <laughs> I had to tell it. Podcast pedestal. So, podcast pedestal for this week. What After you, my dear. Oh, it's me, isn't it? Mm -hmm. Um. 
Okay, I think I know what you're going for because you alluded to it earlier, so I'm going to let you have that one. <laughs> um, I am going to go for Gangle going into the enemy camp with his uniform on, the white flag, and the Ooh, note in his it. hand. Mm, yes, that image of him waving his little white flag. Yes, that's dangerous, okay. man. That's dangerous. Mm, mm. Gangle. Okay. Yeah. yeah. I'm writing so, that down. What are you going for then? Um, I well, you know what I'm going to go yeah. for. I'm going to go for the cook all the way because I just think like the the bravery of this man or woman who's going down to the bottom of the hill and delivering this information, this letter. Mm. It's got to be the cook because without that, who knows what would have happened? Yeah. 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 There's lots of points in this story where it's like, oh, if that hadn't happened, then that couldn't happen. Or, Mm -hmm. oh, if it weren't for that, then this wouldn't have happened. Yeah. 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 Well, there we go. Those are your choices this week, team. So it's either uh, the fantastic choice of Gangle going in in his American uniform into the... uh, uh, the enemy camp with the letter and the and the white flag, or it's the equally fantastic choice of the cook going down to the nearby town no, of Virgo. Come on, everybody is with me. Everybody is going cook, 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 cook. You know, <laughs> cooked up a right gangle, gangle, gangle. The cook, the cook, the cook. Uh, well, so those we'll see Alex, we pick we'll this week. Mm. Now, next week, we're not going to be spinning the wheel, are we, for next week? Because. It's our hundredth episode. Oh my god! It's the next week, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, it is. Oh. It is. Now we should say, um, if you haven't got your your tickets to come or your you know, signed up for the link, um, please do it because uh, that will close on. I think well, Sunday. I think because we're doing it on Monday. Um, there will be a live podcast recording, but there will also be stuff that will not be broadcast. That is just for the people who are there on the evening. So, uh, if you want to come and have a little bit more extra fun with us, then please do. We would love to have you along. Um, it's completely free. You just need to get onto Zoom at 7 pm next Monday night. And we will be having a lot of 100th episode fun. We're going to have a few guests in. Um, we're very excited about it. We get away. I'm so, so excited. Super yeah. excited. Yeah. So, we're not going to tell you what we're talking about next week. We're going to leave that as a surprise. Mm. Um, but we will. But maybe let one of our guests spin the wheel next week. Who knows? Ooh, that'd be good. Or maybe the yes, the wheel might might play a good old feature actually in the, oh. uh, the Zoom. Well, well, I don't want to tell you too much. <laughs> well, we don't. We don't want to tell you too much. We'll see what happens. So that's it for this week. Thank you, my lovelies. Uh, episode ninety nine. Come on for the next week for the <laughs> going into three digits. I'm so excited. I'm so excited. Um, and that's it, really. That's it for this week. Great. Have a lovely week, everybody. See you on Monday, yeah? Yeah, see, see you on Monday. You on Monday. Bye. Bye. Bye.